So, Hutch, do you got any more questions? Can I raise a practical question at this point? We're actually going to move on to the Q&A portion. Uh. It's the questions. It's the questions, boy. It's the questions. It's the questions. Come on. Did you have a question? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. It's the question that brought you here. Yeah. So we're moving to the final segment of the show. The final segment of the show, we feel questions from the people who write us because we get a lot of questions in through split ready this segment of the show as i said is brought to you by eas productions ernie scatton productions the producer of our show if you're looking to do a podcast great producer does a fantastic job for us if you like our show it's mostly because of him yes that's why we sound good so leading off on a question and we actually are posting an answer that we found uh yesterday we do we do these split ready answers every week but we had a question about nesting so we'd love to hear what 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 our professionals know about nesting and what you guys think of it i'm certain you guys have opinions on nesting we can define nesting so nesting is um when the kids stay in the home and the parents rotate in and out versus the parents going from mom's house to dad's house. So usually there's three residences, sometimes two, but usually it's the kid's house and then mom and dad leave and come. Okay, Um, I got voted on going first and I'm sure that- (laughs) I just spoke, so I thought it was Teresa's turn. This is Teresa, Kula. Um, (laughs) So my experience with it comes in different flavors, right? If there's a whole lot of money, it, possibly works uh and generally for a short period of time in other words um, i've had couples where they're in that early stage of trying to work out you know what are the terms of the divorce going to be and so they have they have the children in the home and then sometimes it's one residence that's outside of the home so they get an apartment and so if it's dad's week, then mom's in there. And if it's mom's week, then dad's in there. You know, there's, it, it makes it easier. So the second residence, they rotate through as well. That's one situation I've had. Um, another situation of nesting, you know, on when it was dad's time, then mom went and stayed with her family. Mm-hmm. So now the idea that people are going to have one home for the children and then they're each going to have their own homes forever Again, you would have to have a lot of money to do that. Have you seen it? I've never personally seen it. Um, when I talk to mental health professionals... Ernie Scatton er- has Ernie seen Singh it. Ernie Scatton has. Okay. <laughs> That's why we have... Come on in. So, hey. <laughs> so some of the, some of the statements... I don't mean to interrupt, but I actually, we have friends who are doing this right now in Oak Park, and they're, they are very wealthy. Um, but they, and, and <laughs> yeah. it's working out wonderful. Like, How I long know have the they kids, been doing it? Uh, over a year now. Okay. Uh, almost two years, about two years. And they each have their own apartment. He lives in Chinatown. Um, and she lives, I want to say, Berwynish. And okay. they have a nice house in Oak Park. And the kids live in the house. And the kids are completely adjusted. It's it's awesome. The kids, they, it's like nothing ever happened. Mom comes one week and may stay extra. Dad comes the next week. And it works out absolutely wonderfully see that's where two flats could work really well right you have the upstairs which would be the rotation no nah, i wouldn't want to be anywhere near that's when you need the depression specialist when you're living that close to your ex so so thank you ernie i appreciate that i will say i haven't heard of that working for a long-term solution and part of the mental health people who i've heard their concern is that the kids actually don't ever go to mom's house or dad's house, so they don't get a sense of mom and dad having like lives beyond what Them. the house is. So I'm not 
Again, I I'm have not- read some about the temporary versus permanent nature of it, where sometimes you just set an amount of time so that they can acclimate to mom and dad not being together, and then you slowly move toward yeah. it. Yeah, so that's just my experience. I don't know, Jill may have some more. I have a couple that's been doing it that I did a mediation for that's been doing it for five years. Wow. And their need to do it was that they have a child with special needs and the house was handicapped accessible. Oh. And so they're, um, they cycle in and out. And so they have different spaces in the house and our job was to set boundaries. And it's been working out really well. And I think as a mediator, one of our jobs is to reality test people when they are doing things. And I think that's something that people don't necessarily think of when they think of nesting. But there are definitely some intimacies that are still shared, potentially. Um, if there's still a bedroom that's being shared at either or both residences, you know, if you keep clothing or belongings there and you're not in the house for a week and your ex-spouse has access to your stuff, there's a certain level of trust and not as much separation maybe as some people are looking for in a divorce when you're nesting Absolutely. and there might be re- I mean there's for this one there was a specific reason and that's and a, a need. really good reason and it was you know and if you put I think especially when we talk about collaborative divorce and really it being children first and I think that that is if that's your focus that can be really a strong pull I'm going back to a real estate question because there were a couple that came in um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing them but in terms of refinancing the house I think a lot of times that people believe, and Doug, you might have some insight on this as well, that they can't refinance till the divorce is done, either because of child support and maintenance needing to be shown in order to refinance, or cases where they're using assets received from a quadro in order to do the refinance. So if those two things are in play, how does that change? For the listeners, quadro? Qualified domestic relations order, which is how you get a portion of a retirement account that doesn't belong to you in a divorce. So the first question was, they are having to pay out or, or they need money. to show uh, spousal support or child support in order to qualify to refinance the house. Well, I mean, that might be more for you. Yeah, as a no, lender. I mean, typically it depends on the program. Most programs require six months, but not the final six months. So if you've got a temporary agreement and that shows six months of payments of a certain amount on time, it shows the willingness and the ability to pay of the paying spouse. And as a result, they have the ability to use that to establish that six months and they can refinance right out of it. There are other um, institutions that have portfolio programs where they can just make a decision and look and say, we like this deal. We like this situation. The paying spouse is going to pay and we'll do that deal. Um, so it, it really, you know, it's that, it's that collaborative effort, right? It's the attorneys knowing who to talk to, to have that broken down from the mental health professionals to the insurance to everybody involved. And I'd just like to point out, you, you made the statement, they're waiting for money from a quadro. Mm -hmm. You can actually prepare and enter a quadro prior to judgment. So if they need money for a down payment, they can still get that money prior to finalizing the divorce. Just letting letting people know that. Well, and this actually, there's a. I think we get the question every week about prose and do it yourself, and I think this is a great way because I'm sure we'll be talking a while on it. Um, what everybody? What are your opinions on this? You know, I think we see, and I always get in trouble because my questions are long. But <laughs> to preface it, Generation Y millennials they're used to going on youtube to figure out like i just replaced the bumper on my truck i went on youtube five years ago i couldn't have done that but you're not a millennial dog i understand and that's why because <laughs> but millennials are even more so they they go online and they figure stuff out and as a result this do-it-yourself wave has really hit divorce and you know we've got really financial we've got legal we've got everybody here what are your thoughts on that 
Well, I, you know, I think you, you spoke aptly about going on WebMD and, you know, being convinced you've got Ebola. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, the Internet is, is a double-edged sword just like anything else, right? You know, so if people are like, well, I'm going to go online and see what I might have, I, you know, I, I have no idea how many calls I get of people thinking that they've got borderline personality disorder. And they're convinced that they have borderline personality disorder and they have to come in and they've got need all these medications and whatever. And, you know, most of the time, it's not what's going on. Well, and currently, what, everyone's divorcing a narcissist? That's the trend right, right. now, is well, ever, which statistically is probably not yeah, true. Or you're a sociopath yeah. or something else. So there are a lot of symptoms that may kind of overlap. Um, but what you've got to look at are patterns. And there's a lot, I mean, it's way too much beyond the scope of this podcast. But I mean, there are so many other factors that go into making a diagnosis that to think that you're going to do that online, like you're going to learn how to change your bumper, it's, and people, it's just unrealistic. And people aren't usually their best version of themselves when they're going through a divorce either. So right. Right. they're not showing their you best. Got, I can tell you've got something to say on well, that one. I'm just going to go back to my first, you know, three categories of people, right? If both people are ready to get divorced and they don't have children, they don't have a lot of stuff, maybe they could go pull up the papers and fill stuff out. But if they have been married a long time and they've got entrenched personalities and their children, they're not going to be able to do it successfully. Also, or they could do it, but it's going to be wrong and they might make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And our production assistant would like to point out the millennials don't have money or assets, which is not always true, <laughs> but sometimes true. Right, if you have no they're getting them, and- getting them. But- well, no, what's interesting is, is I work, you know, I, outside of the divorce space, I work with a lot of young, uh, you know, millennials, guys coming out of the military, I work with those folks, and they're building large real estate portfolios. Mm-hmm. So divorce in your world is going to get interesting. Yeah. Some of these 28, 30-year-olds have six, seven, eight investment properties. So it's not just the marital home. Now you've got an entire portfolio of investment properties. It's going to get really interesting when people try and do it yourself. I also want to say that whether or not you can do it yourself, I mean, depending on assets and life circumstances too, also really depends on your state because some states are far easier and make their paperwork far more accessible because there is a percentage of the population that's going to go pro se. Some states make it easy. Some states make it worse than having Ebola from WebMD. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I can say that sometimes people (laughs) show up at my door with, oh, we went online and we did all this. And it's it's worse than if they would have just come in with nothing. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think about seminars and things people can go to? There's a lot of those available. Do do any of you run seminars or a group group sessions where people can kind of get a taste and figure out that they need maybe some more help? I do not. I have, um, but let me distinguish because I think this is really important. There's, there's, you can go to a seminar for three potential topics, okay? You could go just to learn the paperwork, right? I mean, that's a pain in the butt. It's an all-day seminar. Right. <laughs> then you could learn the rules of the law that would determine what goes into the paperwork, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so what is child support guidelines or how does your state divide property, Okay, and then the third thing is how to negotiate. Because I have people come into my office and they're like, okay, and this is how it's gonna be. I'm like, did you tell your husband? Oh no, like they think that just because they want it, that's how it's gonna be. So there's a learning 
in terms of how do you communicate with someone. So do you think so, those are good resources or is it? Well, I'm saying that there's three different learnings right. that one could, could learn about. Okay. And that doesn't mean you're learning how to get divorced. Right. These are skill sets for right. a divorce. Yeah. So it's a lot. Leave it to the pros. I, the paperwork especially. <laughs> yeah. And to Mariah's point, some states have it so that the beneficiary automatically changes mm-hmm. on the filing date of a divorce. Even if this, the original spouse wanted, uh, you know, the, the, the future f- ex-wife and kids to have it, it's, it's automatically severed uh, to prevent, you know, a, a benefit for some unruly behavior. So and it I, sounds like people should be their general, their own general contractor and get all the subcontractors to, get to help them figure out and stay out of trouble expert. and keep yeah. their keep their mental health. And in also, order. with the federal any federal plan, any ERISA back plan, whatever you did is not going to qualify with uh, just a marital you know separation agreement. You need to get a quadro and you need to change all of those documents. If you have a life insurance policy through your group plan. That's not going to follow. Even if you forgot and you did it with all your other documents, you didn't change beneficiaries, your ex is still going to get it. And it happens. And it happens a lot because people get busy. They think Mm -hmm. they're on to the next. Well, and we're not in a day and age of people having one or two jobs and staying with the same company for 40 or 50 years like we used to be. People have five, six, seven different employers. Sometimes they leave their plans with their previous employers. And that's a lot of beneficiaries to change. So, yeah, stuff gets forgotten. Um, on the financial side, um, I know a lot of times the financial advisor is the advisor to the married couple. Do you have thoughts or experiences with when the divorce occurs, does one person have to break up with the advisor as well? Can that relationship still be a valuable relationship because you have history? How does that often work? Um, generally, it is, I think, prudent for most folks to seek their own uh, advisor on their behalf. I mean, I think if uh, just statistically, um, most widows, 70% mm-hmm. of them, go and find their own advisor, even though the couple had one for decades. Mm-hmm. Because there's no, there's no connection and maybe, you know, one spouse made all the just financial decisions. And so, you know, unless there's in a circumstance where they both feel comfortable and they both are maybe in this, you know, they're in a scenario where they're both ready to get divorced and they both feel good about how it happened. I don't find that to be the norm. I usually find one jilted and one not as jilted. It, it's some, it's, it makes sense, I think, to have somebody look at uh, things diff- differently from a, with a new f- set of eyes. Because you and I could look at two different portfolios and have very different views about the trajectory Correct. and inherent risks in a portfolio. And I, I think you need to have that perspective at times. I wonder if anyone's ever fought over their financial advisor during a divorce uh, <laughs> negotiations on who gets to keep the advisor or who gets to yeah. keep the accountant. I so bet you it's come up. Our firm does not have a strict policy, but they do ask if both want the same advisor for a special form to be filled yeah, out. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you don't want to accidentally disclose something to Correct. to one or the other. Like, hey, that insurance policy is still in place, right? You can't answer that question. Um, so, yeah. Uh, another question that came in, uh, it's that time of year. 
does child support cover back to school expenses in about six different forms that question is asked <laughs> i'll leave that to the attorneys to start with well it depends on what back to school expenses that you're talking about is it tuition is it how is it outlined in the agreement so that's if, if it's in the agreement then hopefully it's outlined and it's specific but i think I mean, that in a like lot a of a backpack or is it keeper. like Tra- right? Exactly. The trip. Oh. Going back to 1981. <laughs> I, know. Gonna, I asked like, my, asked my daughter. She went. She went. She went school shopping, and I said, "You get a trapper keeper." Does she know Apparently, what you were talking about? They don't have it. Well, I showed her one, <laughs> and she thought it was the dumbest thing ever. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it within like six. Yeah, months. but you know, yeah. you had like the cool, the cool, whatever was on there. I think as it's I mean, getting it more expensive fees? to send kids back to school. So I know when I was in high school, which wasn't that long ago. Um, our back to school expenses, like books, fees, they weren't a lot. I know that in our school district, uh, we're tipping six, seven, eight hundred for book fees and rental fees to go back to school. So then it becomes a bigger expense. Um, so would that be considered child support? Does it depends it depend? on how it's outlined. That's the best question is it depends or the best answer is it depends. Yeah, I will say that um, in my practice, when we negotiate who pays for what I put in there specifically, um, especially like computers and calculators. My kid had, you know, a hundred dollar calculator for high school calculus. So, you know, just one, I went through three (laughs) for each one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we ended our last session on the question being, it depends or the answer being, it it depends. depends. Mm -hmm. So find a, find a, uh, find an expert. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to our guests. We're going to have information on all of them. And just a recap of our guest, we have Teresa Kulat from Trinity Family Services. Trinity, Trinity Family, Family Law. Law. How do I get it wrong every time? Trinity Family Law. Information will be on the podcast, on the websites, everywhere. We've got Steve Coe from Lennox Advisors. Is that right? I got that one right, right? Yeah, thanks for having me. There you go. Great. We'll have his information. Karen Khalil. Expert in depression. <laughs> That's such a weird thing to say. Expert in mental health. An expert in mental health. An expert in mental health. There you go. Um, and then Jill Daniels from Jill, Jill Daniels Law. All of their information will be on our site so you can get hold of them. Ask them further questions if you have any. And we want to thank everyone for joining us and listening to the Getting Split Ready podcast. If you or someone that you know is considering or going through a divorce, please go to splitready.com take our assessment and find out if you are indeed split ready and remember that you can get through your divorce with your finances your integrity and hopefully some sanity intact